The CBC publishes a racist screed against white conservatives and then quietly rewrites the article after some pushback. It's Fake News Friday, I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. I am going to focus the entire episode today on this truly remarkable piece. It was an opinion piece that was published by the state broadcaster, by the CBC on its website, and it is one of the absolute worst offenders, worst examples of just absolute malfeasance, editorial and journalistic malfeasance on behalf of our government journalists. It is just truly awful in so many ways. I cannot believe it was published and I cannot believe the way that the CBC tried to cover their tracks and cover it up and make it less offensive after the fact. So we're going to go into it. We're going to talk about every aspect of this ridiculous piece that was published earlier in the week. But first, if you like The Candace Malcolm Show, if you like what we do, if you enjoy Fake News Friday, Fake News Friday is certainly my favorite show. It is a show that we do every Friday where we go through some of the worst examples of the unethical groupthink mentality in the Canadian media. We talk about how it is just such a huge conflict of interest that all of these journalists now receive money from the Trudeau government. So the exact journalists who are there to hold the government accountable, to keep their feet to the fire, to expose corruption, expose bad behavior, expose government waste. Those same journalists are reliant upon Trudeau and his government to pay their salaries, to support their jobs. So if it wasn't for Trudeau, if Trudeau wasn't the prime minister, they wouldn't be getting these bailouts. They wouldn't get as much money. Recall that Trudeau has greatly expanded the budget of the CBC, despite the fact that CBC viewership is plunging. Nobody watches it. Its credibility is at an all-time low, and yet they're still receiving all of this money. It's, it's such an incredible conflict of interest, and that is what we cover every Friday on Fake News Friday on The Candace Malcolm Show. But like I was saying, if you like our show, if you like what we do, the whole purpose behind True North as a media outlet, as an independent media outlet, is that we don't accept any money from the government. We think that is a conflict of interest. We think that that inhibits a journalist from doing their job. So by principle, we will never take any money from the government. We oppose bailouts. We oppose the state broadcaster in general. But because of that, we need support from our audience. We rely entirely on the donation of our generous viewers and supporters. So if you want to be part of the movement, if you want to join True North Nation, head on over to tnc.news donate. Consider leaving us a modest donation. And if you really like True North, you can donate $10 a month. You get access to our True North Insiders Club, where you get all sorts of perks and and basically you just get the pride of knowing that you are supporting truly independent journalism in this country. So if you like what we do at The Candace Malcolm Show and you're currently watching this video on YouTube, don't forget to like this video, subscribe to True North, hit that little notification bell so you never miss an episode, and leave me a comment, let me know what you think of the show, what you think of Fake News Friday, and if you have any suggestions for a future episode. If you're watching on Facebook, please like this video, share with your friends, leave us a comment again, and don't forget to like True North and like my personal page, Candace Malcolm. Finally, if you are listening to the show in podcast form over on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It really helps us out in the search and in the algorithm. And also don't forget to subscribe to The Candace Malcolm Show so that you never miss an episode. Okay, so I want to go back to this original news story that was published on Monday, published on October 25th, early in the morning. And just first of all, as a little bit of an aside, I don't really understand why the CBC chose to get into the whole idea of editorial news. You know, the, the whole idea behind the state broadcaster, there's a couple basic justifications. Uh, first is that we need more reporters covering Canadian news. The other is to make sure that 
news is able to travel throughout the country as a big country, especially in the north, um, that northerners are able to access radio and news in places where there wouldn't be a market uh, to support that kind of thing. But, but when you get into the idea of opinion journalism, which is a different kind of journalism, you really get into dicey territory because, again, the CBC is funded by the government. It is a government broadcaster. So when you start hosting opinions, you know, just by virtue of there being opinions in politics, people are going to disagree. You know, I'm an opinion columnist over at the Toronto Sun. I write opinions. I've been doing it for a long time. Sometimes my opinions are very, very controversial. There is a whole group of Canadians out there who really hate me, who hate my opinion, hate what I stand for, hate what I believe in. And you know, that's just life. That's part of politics. And no matter which position you take, you're going to experience that. But when it comes to the state broadcaster, the idea that they would start inserting opinions, it sort of looks like it's an officially endorsed opinion. It's an opinion endorsed by the state, which again, gets into really dicey territory. I don't like the idea of the CBC doing these opinion pieces. And this article that I'm going to talk about today is exactly why. This is exactly why the CBC has no business publishing editorial um, opinion pieces and and and, and I'm, we're gonna see why okay so here is the story I'm basically going to read it in its entirety because it is just so surprising so shocking so appalling so despicable so it says this on election day I greeted people who voted for parties that hate people like me and then the subheadline here says elections provide numerical evidence of the rise of right-wing politics and that should worry all of us it's written by a woman called ziha raymond i think i might be pronouncing that incorrectly ziha raymond and we are told that she was a elections canada officer so this is a person who worked for Elections Canada, who is one of the officers who welcomed voters on election day. So a government official, a person who has been hired by the government to oversee our elections. For some reason, this person felt the need to write an opinion piece to tell us what she thinks of Canadians, what she thinks of the people who are voting. And again, the CBC gave it a platform. So just so many conflicts of interest here. This woman should never be allowed to work for Elections Canada again. People who have outward opinions like this, they they don't fit the role of a sort of nonpartisan, apolitical public servant. That the whole idea of the public service is that it is not partisan, it's not political, it does the job, it's this sort of stable force within the government. And you know, the parties come and go, the politicians who run the country come and go, but the civil service remains neutral and trusted. And so when you have a crazy opinion like the one I'm going to present to you, you can recognize we have a deeper problem in this country when it comes to the partisanship and the ideology clearly that's seeping through into the public service. Okay, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically read this thing in its entirety because it's so shocking. So bear with me. Here we go. It says I've always loved the idea of democracy in action and have voted in every single election since I turned 18. This September, I worked for Elections Canada as an information officer. On election day, I greeted incoming voters, determined if they were at the correct polling address and helped count votes after the polls closed. During the first hour of my shift, an elderly white woman came in with a walker. After skimming over her voter identity card, I informed her that unfortunately, she was at the wrong polling address. The correct address was next door, but their parking lot was full, she told me. I apologized to her for the inconvenience. She thanked me profusely for directing her to the right place. Okay, so remember that the, that the headline of this article is, I greeted people who voted for parties that hate people like me. So, so here we see there's this interaction with an elderly white woman. And so we're, we're thinking, okay, what, what does she do? How did she show that she hated people like you? Uh, you know, what, what happened? 
uh, well, well, the interaction, it turned out, was actually quite pleasant. There was a bit of a misunderstanding. She uh, directed the woman to the right place. The woman thanked her profusely. And that was the end of the interaction. So, so we'll just keep reading. It says, I was buoyed both at her dedication to her civic duty as well as her kind words. However, after she left, I couldn't help but wonder whether, despite our pleasant interaction, she was one of the people who hate people like me, dun dun dun. So again, this woman is just basically wildly speculating that because this woman was old and white, she must be a hateful bigot, essentially. Even though there's no evidence from the interaction, the assumption that she has is that this woman, because she's white, because of her appearance, she must be a hateful bigot. Again, because this woman, this elections worker, clearly thinks that Canadians are hateful bigots. She clearly thinks that the average default position of a Canadian is hateful bigot. Okay, let's keep reading. She goes, obviously I am well aware that it is unhealthy to distrust people who I have no outward reason to do so. But I am a visibly Muslim, South Asian woman, and also well aware of the rising number of police-reported hate crimes throughout Canada, like the mass murder of a Muslim family in London, Ontario this summer, and the rhetoric that enables it. Okay, so she's telling us that she is a visible Muslim, that she is from South Asia, and that she thinks that basically because of a handful of hate crimes and because of one heinous murder that happened in the country, that therefore the entire country must hate her. And then she talks about the rhetoric that enables it. So, so, so stay tuned for that, the rhetoric that enables it, because we're gonna try to understand a little bit more about what she thinks about why Canadians are so hateful. So we'll keep reading here, it says, while it might be tempting to dismiss that as extreme behavior from a select few, elections, like the recent election of the 2021 Canadian federal election, give us numerical evidence of the rise of right-wing politics and hateful rhetoric throughout Canada. This evidence in turn serves as a reminder that many people in my community hate people like me so much that they want to elect officials who have demonstrated similar hatred. So she's saying it's not just select examples, it's not just a handful of crazy people out there. The idea that uh, elections show us how many people out there actually support this hateful rhetoric. And so she's tying that to right-wing politics in Canada. So she's saying, okay, here we go. Here is the um, here, here are the numbers that, that, that prove that this hatred against people like me is so widespread. Here it goes. She says, when I helped count polls during election night and having interacted with numerous voters throughout the day, it was jarring to realize that many of the people who had seemingly been nice to me throughout the day had chosen to vote for the Conservative Party, whose leader's slogan was the xenophobic phrase, take Canada back, and whose former leader Stephen Harper sought to ban kneecaps and implement a barbaric practices hotline when he was prime minister. In fact, almost 6 million Canadians voted for the Conservative Party this past election and more than 6 million in 2019. Though the Liberal Party won more ridings in both elections, the Conservatives received more votes overall. Okay, so basically the build-up here is that there are these extreme far-right parties that clearly must, what, hate Muslims and support attacks against Muslims. So she's sort of setting it up like we basically, uh, what I was expecting anyway, was that she was going to go into a tirade against the People's Party and Maxine Bernier because that's the one who the media paint as being sort of xenophobic and far-right. Uh, but then in this paragraph, we realize that she's not even talking about the new upstart party and Maxine Bernier. Remember in 2019, much of his campaign circled around limiting immigration and sort of defending Canadian values and, and, and sort of no longer 
longer supporting the multicultural um, ideology in Canada. So, so I expected her to be talking about Maxime Bernier, but again, in this paragraph, she reveals that no, she's talking about all conservatives. She's talking about the uh, party that received the most votes in Canada. So this woman thinks that anyone who is a conservative, therefore, must be a bigot. Anybody who is an old white woman, therefore, must be a bigot. Basically, what this piece is revealing is that the person who wrote this piece is kind of unhinged, is kind of a lunatic, is kind of a crazy person. She's one of those paranoid people who believes that everybody hates her, everybody's out to get her. She clearly doesn't have a very high opinion of Canada, the country that welcomed her, the country where she lives peacefully in. In fact, she's so free in Canada that she even gets published by the CBC, which I think is the largest, uh, most circulated website, news website in Canada. So even though she feels so oppressed and so hated in Canada, she still has all these wonderful opportunities that she doesn't seem very grateful about. But again, this this story really just reveals her insane bias and, and, and the fact that this piece was published is an absolute disgrace. So I will just quickly keep reading. She, she does go on to talk about the People's Party. She says, some of the people I interacted with had voted for the far right's People's Party of Canada, whose leader Maxime Bernier had proposed to end multiculturalism, reduce the number of immigrants and refugee Canada receives, and foster hate speech under the guise of free speech as part of his party's platform. The PPC received more than 840,000 votes in 2021 federal election. That's more than double the number of votes they received in the 2019 federal election. And it's because these policies resonate with some Canadians. Well, the, fact, the, the reason that Maxime Bernier more than doubled his electoral fortune is because he moved away from talking about immigration all the time and he started critiquing the government for lockdowns and overzealous um, COVID response. And so the reason that he, he got so many more votes and the message that resonated to Canada wasn't even about immigration this time around, it was about the pandemic and the insane response that the government has been having. So, 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 so this take isn't even correct. And, and even just to go back even further, just because you want to limit the number of immigrants that Canada takes doesn't mean by virtue uh, that you're a racist or a bigot. That's just, it's a very juvenile argument. It's like, it's like so basic and so limited and just so poorly argued that it's hardly even worth refuting. But, but, but regardless, it, you know, this, this piece is just so pathetic. I'll, I'll just read a little bit more, so I'll skip a few paragraphs. She says, the results of these recent elections is tangible proof that this hatred is not some faceless online entity. They are real people, some of whom are my neighbors. Some of these people might even belong to my community. After all, immigrants and racialized people make up a sizable chunk of right-wing voters as well as candidates. This is often due to a combination of their economic interests, e.g. less taxes, conservative cultural values, e.g. anti-abortion or anti-LGBT policies, support for a specific politician, or their internalized self-hatred or views on colorism, which outweighs any oppression they may face at the hands of other voters or candidates in their party. So first, it's just so obvious from reading this thing that this woman has such a reductive, infantile, very simplistic, very silly view of conservatives broadly. She, she's writing an entire opinion piece saying that people who vote for right-wing parties, um, including the conservatives who are hardly right-wing, give me a break, hardly right-wing, uh, but if you vote for conservatives, it's because of these very simplistic ideas. She clearly has a very low opinion of Canadian voters, including uh, immigrants or what she calls racialized people. There's so many made-up words in this piece, racialized, colorism. Uh, like this, this woman is definitely a what like a gender studies major it definitely has some kind of a, a really steeped woke leftist ideology and, and again it is coming 
through so badly. So finally, I'll just read the final sentence here. She says, I hope I'm wrong to be fearful and I hope that my neighbors will get to know me and my community before casting their ballots. So again, the final insinuation here is that if you get to know a Muslim person, if you get to know her community, you would never vote for a right-wing party. So again, the, the very reductive, this idea that if you are on the right, if you're conservative because you must be a bigot, because you don't know Muslims, because you don't understand people from other cultures, it's just plain wrong. It's very simplistic, very, very silly view of the right. Uh, shame on this woman for being so ignorant and for, for, for thinking that her ignorant view is so important that she wants to put it out there. And then double shame on the CBC. The CBC should have a better process for screening pieces, for editing pieces, for determining what gets posted on their website. It's not like this woman is a paid columnist who gets to submit a piece every week and they're used to her and they're saying, okay, she might be controversial, uh, but we, we, we own that, we'll protect that, we'll make sure that everything is bulletproof before we put it up onto our website. To the contrary, as soon as this piece started to get some scrutiny, and believe me, it got a lot of scrutiny. When this piece was put up, there were a lot of, there's a lot of pushback, a lot of people online scratching their head, wondering what the heck is going on over at the CBC that they would receive this piece, think, you know what, this is a great piece. Wow, how thoughtful. Wow, this is totally fair. Wow, these arguments are so uh, well argued that we're just gonna post this thing on our website and 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 run with it. Usually just, just sort of to pause for a second and talk about the behind the scenes aspect of a news organization. I run one here at True North, I'm the editor in chief. I know what goes on before we publish something. Typically, if someone submits an article or a video in our case or an op-ed, uh, you know, you read it through, you make sure, it, like I said, it's bulletproof, that every single uh, piece can be um, completely justified, that every stat, every fact um, has a source or you know where it came from, that the piece is true, that you are confident with it, that it has met your journalistic standards and your integrity, your ethics, and everything like that before you publish it, before it goes up. Usually it's read over by at least two or three people, and that's just at True North. I imagine CBC has many, 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 many more staff members and people on their editorial team that can help with the editing process. So the fact that this piece, as I just read it, the original piece, made it through all of those stages and the CBC put it out is, is a crazy, crazy indictment of just how terrible the CBC is, of just how absolutely poorly organized this place is, of their complete lack of ethics and integrity when it comes to journalism. I'm just floored by the fact that they would put out a garbage, garbage piece like this by a person who sounds like a paranoid lunatic uh, when it comes to accusing everyone around her of hating her with absolutely no evidence. And so, of course, the, the backlash was pretty strong, pretty fierce. Here you have John Kay, who is the editor over at Quillette, and he says, got it. If someone votes for a party you don't like, they must be a bigot. Uh, well, there was a lot of comments just like this on Twitter. So what does the CBC do? Well, they basically completely rewrite the piece. They take down that original version that I just read and they put up something that is just completely different, completely watered down. They edited so much of it. They took so much down. They clearly recognize that the piece that they put out was indefensible, that, that, that there was no walking back from it. And so rather than just, you know, completely killing the piece and saying, we apologize for publishing this complete nonsense, uh, you know, we'll try to do better going forward. Instead of that, what did they do? They just kind of rewrote the piece and tried to basically make it seem like they had done nothing wrong, hope that people don't notice that this was a completely a rewritten piece. So I'll give you a couple of examples here. 
Okay, so here is the updated piece. You can see that there's like stealth edits that really water the piece down. But again, they don't make it clear that they've changed it. When you go onto the website and you read the piece, there's no there's no big note anywhere at the top that says this piece has been edited. There's no um, correction label or anything like that. They just sort of stealth went in and changed the headline. It, said, it now says on election day, I greeted people who voted for candidates who might hate people like me. So they added that who might um, before it just said who hate people like me. Um, so again, that might word really, really couches it and, and makes it a lot less assertive than it was. And uh, then she goes on. Basically, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, who made these changes, whether the editor um, just went in and did it themselves or whether they went back to this Elections Canada woman and said, look, you got to really make this piece a lot stronger because it's not standing up to scrutiny. But regardless, a lot of the really, um, really loaded pieces are now gone, for, for instance. For some reason, she still talks about her interaction with the woman in the walker who was at the wrong polling station, uh, but they took out the fact that she was elderly and white, and now it just says, I greeted a woman. So for some reason, CBC thought that it would be better if they took out the part that identified uh, you know, her, her, her racial identity. Um, why? I, I have no idea, but it sort of um, underscores the idea that the piece as it was written was was just really appalling um, and a bunch of other changes jonathan k uh, does a great job on his twitter of literally going through comparing the screenshot to screenshot of all the changes and really dissecting it I, I won't go through all that detail but i will just say that this is one of the worst offenders for fake news friday we, we, you know we joked about it internally here at the candace milk show and at true north that we might have to do like an award show uh, for the biggest fake news stories of the year and if we did this would certainly be a contender because this was absolutely appalling and the cbc has uh, noticed this at least implicitly uh, by going through and making such drastic changes. The only and the only way that we know that the changes were made, if you if you happen to come on and see this piece after all these edits were made, um, is just at the very very bottom, the very very bottom of the CBC piece. It says two things. First, it says editor's note: this column and headline has been revised to clarify the writer's reaction was to some conservative candidates and their policies, and not broadly to conservative parties. And then under that, it says corrections, and it says a pre previous version of this column said Arpan Kanna was a former MP with the Conservative Party. In fact, Kanna was a candidate for the party but was not elected. So again, just a total, total joke. Horrible, horrible disservice and abuse by the public broadcaster to the trust of Canadians. It is no wonder why Canadians don't watch the CBC and they don't trust the CBC. It is because the CBC is absolutely dysfunctional. Thank you so much for watching. This has been Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.